0: Well, hi, everyone. This is Rex Aldana again, along with
1: Mark Stevens,
0: and we're here for another Eurythmics podcast. Um, before we get into the details of what this podcast is all about, we want to talk about the big news that was just announced, which was Eurythmics have received their now second nomination for the Rock and ro- the U.S. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So we need to fire up the Eurythmics fan base to vote in the fan vote so that we can keep them in the top five. Um, Mark, I, th- what is that thing about uh, the votes? The fan vote counts as one vote towards the.
1: Uh... Yeah, if you if you finish in the top five, you get those acts get one vote, just one vote in the overall. You know, I think there's about twelve hundred um, people who can actually vote for this, so you get one vote. So it's not a lot. But I think there's some there's good PR value. There's good. You know, there's good uh, bragging rights. And at the moment, this exact moment, the uh, rhythmics are in fifth place. So it helps a little bit. And, I, you know, who knows? We don't yeah. know if, if some some of the people who vote, some of them are past recipients. Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe that they take that into account. You know, if all things are equal, you know, well, these fans really want this. And so, you know, we don't know. So. Uh, it you, you might as well go for it, you know. And, and, right. try.
0: and uh, like you mentioned in some of your postings, um, you know, doing this can show the record label that there's interest for possible future releases of, of uh, things. You mentioned that after the first Rock and Roll nomination, we got the vinyl remasters. So maybe after this, we'll get a Blu-ray of Savage, huh?
1: <laughs> yeah. So listen, if, if if we get a Blu-ray of Savage, voting every single day, every time you can is well worth it. Let's be that. Right.
0: All right. So, uh, Mark, what's that website address people can go to? Sorry.
1: Um, vote.rockpaul.com. Did you hear that? Okay.
0: And you can vote once a day, every 24 hours. You can also vote under different email addresses, but hey.
1: Yeah, you do have to sign in a different email address, but, you know, if you've got a work email, you can use that. If you've got a personal email, you can use that. etc., etc., etc.
0: All right, I'm going to turn it over to Mark to introduce our special guest for this podcast, our first guest.
1: First guest. <laughs> uh, well, it is the first time that we've actually had uh, – this is our fifth podcast, the first time we've had a special guest. We've been alluding to this from the beginning that, that uh, people did not just have to listen to, to me and to Rex forever, that we wanted to bring other fans in and other folks to be part of the podcast. So, the first person uh, involved is Eric Gustin. Did I say that correctly? Gustin. Gustin. I knew I was going <laughs> to. Um, I've known Eric. I've only called him Eric all these years. <laughs> yeah. uh, I've known Eric for a long time. Now, if you've been a Eurythmics fan for a long time, he probably goes back long enough to where we may have referred to each other as Eurythmites. Remember that? <laughs> Y'all remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but I met Eric. Uh, at Annie's one of Annie's sing concerts in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where he lives, yep. and my wife and I had flown up to Minneapolis to see that particular show. So that was October 18th, <clears throat> 2007, and we were waiting to see Annie to after the show to get her to sign some things, and it was raining. I remember that. Do you remember any of this, Eric? Yep, totally.
2: We had to. Go back into the, the back halls of the concert yeah. concert hall and wait
1: in that little hallway. <laughs> um, yeah, got you get instructions what you could do and all that kind of stuff. And Annie was always really nice, you know, and yeah. polite and, and and always charming. You got you had a few seconds, you know, and I always felt that I, I never could say the right thing. And my wife <laughs> was always with me, and she would always meet Annie, and she's not, you know, bizarro. you're with and and so Annie could Annie and Amy would just sit there and talk to each other. You know, where I'm like, Hello, how are you? You know
0: (laughs) Well, Mark, if I just want to interrupt real quick and tell the story of about how I gave Annie a picture you took of her at the Pantages Theater at the We Two R one launch in eighty nine. Yeah. I showed her the picture. She was so impressed with it. She said, wow. She showed it to other people that were with her in the party. She asked where it was taken, and I told her, and I said it was taken by a friend of mine, Mark Stevens. So, you know, there you go. (laughs) Well,
1: it is interesting. I'll say this, too. Uh, At that particular show, and I had created sort of like a 11, 11 by 14 image of photos that I had taken of Eurythmics in concerts, and it created this image for her to sign, and I didn't think anything about doing that. But when I handed it to her, she said, well, "Where on earth did you get this?" And I was like, "Well," and explained it. And so she was real very nice. It signed. It's fraying downstairs.
0: <laughs> <laughs> she was make probably making sure it wasn't a, a photos off the internet because she wasn't signing those. Remember?
1: Yeah, and, and I pointed out like this was your show and this time and this is you know and we you know anyway so all that jazz. Huh. But anyway, Eric, it is so nice to have you here, and um, we want to talk to you about a lot of different things, uh, and I know you you were sort of a eurythmics a expert on <laughs> um, live concerts, and dare we say, bootleg concerts. Uh-huh. I know I have contacted you before, like, hey, have you heard this? Do you know about this? And he yeah. always, everyone, I should say, he always does. <laughs> And also you're, you are a musician. Explain a little bit about what you do. So what I do, um, well,
2: (laughs) well, I'm a massive Eurythmics fan. That's, that's the one thing, but, um, I do, I am a musician myself. I, I play trumpet in an orchestra and I also make electronic music, compose it at home, which is my main hobby, uh, that I do for fun. I've been doing it since like 1994. So
1: yeah, okay. um, <clears throat> well, so
2: yeah, and, uh, but uh, yeah, as far as collecting stuff, I, I collect a lot of, I used to collect records, but I don't do that so much anymore, but I do collect live recordings.
1: Okay. Well, yeah, yes,
2: as, as we're all getting older, we
0: collect less, right?
1: Yeah. I don't need more stuff. <laughs> exactly. Because we have it all now. No, that's not it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's part of it, too. We do have it all.
1: (laughs) But I want to say this, and I don't know how much Eric wants me to say about these things, but he's recorded or covered uh, several Eurythmics tunes, and they're really, really good. And I love them. And your cover that you did of Never Gonna Cry Again is one of my favorites. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, I will second all of that. (laughs) so and i I went to soundcloud earlier and you have so many songs on there yeah Uh, i I know there was one from 2020 truthfully eric i had no idea because i have some of your original recordings that that i've downloaded over the years or you've sent me um but for some reason I, i i didn't know about most of these and so i haven't even got to listen to them all but you, re- you do a great job. And if anyone's, if you haven't heard, it's okay. Can we give your, sound? Yes. Um, tell us how people can hear you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can go to soundcloud.com slash eGusto, E-G-U-S-T-O.
1: Yes, and do not, yeah. if you search for uh, his full name, you're going to find other people. So you have to use E Gusto, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but anyway, you um, tell, maybe tell us a little bit about, Um, that you you've recorded some of the covers and what that was like and why you did that. I I don't, and can people download those?
2: No. um, I have tried to upload them before, but I've gotten notices that to take them down. So unfortunately they're, (laughs) they're not available, but um, really they, most of them have been born out of just uh, experimenting on my own with the music and then, I need I'll sing some words along with this music. So I sing Eurythmics lyrics to my own compositions. Because the the covers are not necessarily very faithful to Eurythmics, yes. they're sort yeah. of reinterpretations. So yeah. but they, they do borrow heavily from you know some of the arrangements and vocals styles and things like that of Eurythmics.
0: Aren't those the best kind of um you know when you when you do something different with the song and not the same old thing as what the artist has already
2: done. Yeah. If you just try to do a copy, I've found that I've tried to do copies and they're, they're never any good. So (laughs) it's, it's better to just try something new and do a new, new interpretation. Yeah.
1: Uh, Even, even listening to those um, sometimes I got a sense that, um, that your interpretation, that there were things about Annie live that came through. Uh, that I really liked about some of them. But uh, so we've we've never, anyway, it's all really well done and just always been, you know, a fan of your music uh, since you've sent it to me over the years. But um, so we decided that when we would have a Eurythmics fan on, we were going to ask four sample, four simple questions. And so, again, you're the first fan that we've had on uh, with us. So I'm going to ask you four questions uh, and to get you to answer those. Okay. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite Eurythmic song? My favorite
2: Eurythmic song is Never Going to Cry Again. <laughs> it's funny you should mention that mention that song. But, yeah, that that is my favorite. Um, and it's my favorite uh, kind of for sentimental reasons because um, I kind of discovered Eurythmics through the – uh, Sweet Dreams video album. So the live version of uh, Never Gonna Cry Again was one of the first songs that really drew me in.
1: Interesting.
2: Um, wow. So, and you know, the album version I like, but it's really the live versions that are really special to me. So they 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 they've done so many different interpretations of it. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's a I think I was, I tried to count how many versions I had one time. It was like 30 some recordings of it. So. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> I,
1: I, I will say real, <clears throat> sorry, so really quickly that I think it's a really, it's, it's a pity that they did not keep that in their set list over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Because it is such an incredibly great song live. And I totally agree with you on that.
2: Yeah. Um, agree <clears throat>
1: What's your favorite Eurythmics
2: album? My favorite album is Touch, which um, I kind of became a full blown obsessive maniac in 1984 when Touch was the current release. Um, I had, (laughs) there used to be a a record store uh, in the town I lived in where you could rent records. So I asked my older brother to rent. Uh, touch for me because I wasn't old enough Um, (laughs) so he brought it home and I played it and I was just totally taken by it so I had to buy it I had to buy sweet dreams I had to like start getting everything at that point but touch is my favorite because it's um it's kind of uh it's it's just kind of weird and spontaneous and um it's just kind of got this loose experimental feeling to it that i just love i especially love the the b side you know like the first cut and aqua and just kind of that stranger cool blue uh, regrets is actually regrets is the one that really is like really right. made me crazy about him in the first place <laughs>
1: sure, wonderful fascinating what's your favorite eurythmics video
2: um i would probably say sweet dreams uh, they they got so many. It's probably a tie between "Sweet Dreams" and "Love as a Stranger." Um, I do kind of love the the noir film atmosphere of "Love as a Stranger," uh, but "Sweet Dreams" is just. It's just a cool video. <laughs> Although I, I will say, you know, with their new remastered version of it, it drives me bonkers that the sound is out of sync with the picture. Yeah,
0: I've noticed a, that you as noticed? well. Yeah.
2: Yes. Uh, I wish they would fix that. <laughs> <Yeah>. Have you <laughs> no. seen
0: the remastered uh, walking on broken glass? It's stunning.
1: No, I don't I haven't seen that.
0: Oh wow, yeah. And then there's other ones too. I need a man was remastered and chill and all those, but yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: It's it's odd, I, and I do not remember now where I saw this, but it was just the other day. It was maybe it was um, it was, It was showing the remastered video, but it was part of a program, and the sound and the it it all matched up. Hmm. <laughs> like, well, wait a minute, so <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's okay. So, oh, yeah, that I have to agree that got to fix that. It's driving me crazy.
0: Maybe, maybe it's a problem with the the, the file they, that that service got or something. I don't know that they're
1: showing. One yeah. One final question, and I think you've already answered this. When did you first fall in love with your business? Yeah, it was
2: kind of a slow progression between 83 to 84. Um, I didn't have cable TV, but I had friends who did. So I would go, go to their houses and... Um, I think the the video the Sweet Dreams video album was um on Nickelodeon I think it was on MTV first but it was on Nickelodeon and one of my friends taped it off of Nickelodeon and I watched it over and over again and this was before before it came out on home video which I think was like April of 84 so it was kind of in that late 83 to 84 time period that I really yep. started becoming a fan
0: I did the same thing. I remember thing. being on Nickelodeon. I would never remember that if you didn't bring it up, Eric, but I remember that now, like seeing yeah. that on Nickelodeon. Wow. Yeah.
1: The same thing. I didn't have cable, uh, but I had a friend who did. And yeah. his family, they had, you know, the big beta, the not big <clears throat> beta and he could record things and he had MTV and all this stuff. And I remember distinctly, uh, you know, that, the rhythmic, the Sweet Dreams video album was going to be played on MTV, and so I, you know, I came over to watch it. I remember that his mother came in, and Annie's in her hat. And she's singing, this is the house, and, and his mother just like, oh Lord. <laughs> 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 oh um, well, I'll tell you, Eric. Uh, I I guess that you're never going to cry again was your favorite song. I guess. Yeah. I guess that Touch was your favorite album. I did write down "Love as a Stranger" for your favorite video, so I swear to God that one. <laughs> and uh, I just said "Sweet Dreams" is when you fell in love with rhythmics, but I, I knew it was probably that time period. So I did. Pretty yeah. Hard. But anyway, yeah. I have talked a lot, Rex. I'm going to throw it over to you because I have talked a lot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, I like your picks, Eric. Um, I think "Never Gonna Gonna Cry Again" is a great song, and it to, for me personally, it's gotten better and better over the years. You know, mm-hmm. um, I heard in the garden first. I mean, I heard in the garden, of course, after I'd heard Sweet Dreams and Touch. Yeah. So, you know, it, it was a bit jarring for me because it wasn't the same sound. And and um, while I liked it, I, I kind of was like, well, this is not what they sound like now. And, you know, but over the years, I've, I've rediscovered it. And I think it's a great album. And, and that song is just wonderful. And you're right. the uh, All those different arrangements and, and, and the way you did it. Um, it's wonderful. So thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Um, why don't we talk a little bit about, um, like live recordings? I have to admit, I'm not, this is not my area of expertise with Eurythmics. So I'm really Mm -hmm. looking forward to, to hearing your expertise.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, because I kind of fell into Eurythmics through that live video, um, maybe that's where my interest first came from. Um, although watching that video now, it's, it's kind of sad that it's, It's not the greatest performance. Her voice is really hoarse. It was the first time that particular band lineup had played together. So there's some, you know, you can see her turning to the croquettes and cueing certain things like come in now. And it's fascinating to to watch, but there were so many like performance subsequent performances that were so much better than that one. So it's kind of too bad that that, that happened to be the one that they, memorialized on tape, but, uh, I did not know
0: that about it being the, uh, the first performance with the new band and all that. That's very interesting. That does add a dimension to the, the things you talked about with her, you know, giving the stage directions and things like that.
2: Yeah. 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 And it's, um, the, that particular, the, the sweet dreams tour is my favorite, um, group of recordings because, uh, they really, they started, I think it was like February of 83 um, with the, the band that had Clem Burke and Eddie Reader, uh, Mickey Gallagher on keyboards. So it was a smaller group, um, a lot rougher, rough around the edges. Uh, they, they really experimented a lot with arrangements, like from show to show. They're completely different it's just like nuts like from one night to another it's just like a, like a totally different experience so that that kind of thing fascinates me because it's like oh wow they did this on this night and then it was different on this night and then what's well, with this trippy space echo this night and it was like well, and you're a
0: musician, so you have that you have that kind of viewpoint. You know, you like yeah. how they play with things, how they change things around. Do you think that's led? Uh, that's what led a lot of fans to want to seek out all those specific different recordings from that time
2: period. The fact that they were <clears throat> also varied—that's my driving factor. Because um, that those those performances are just—they're uh, really energetic, even though they are kind of rough. They've got this just incredible drive to them Mm -hmm. uh the sound is kind of dark and sinister which i like um it's unpolished uh you know in later years she took her vocal you know she had her vocal issues and refined her voice with vocal lessons and stuff so but back then she was using her voice the wrong quote unquote wrong way which is actually very in- exciting to listen to because she was not holding back, you know, screaming and, you know, all sorts of vocalizations and uh, really uh, crazy stuff. Is that why
0: you think sometimes, you know, when you when you hear her in concert, her, her register seems to be a little deeper than it is on, on an album. And I'm wondering if... <clears throat> Although she does use the deep registers on the album, but I'm wondering if when she when she hits those high notes or maybe does the things that are not the best for her voice, she can do that in the studio because it's one off, it's kind of, mm-hmm. outdated, but probably not the kind of thing you want
2: to do in concert
0: for 90 minutes.
2: Right, right. A lot of times, uh, like in "Love Is a Stranger," she would leave the high, really high parts to the backing vocalist, and she would sing in a lower register. Um, so I think, yeah. Probably it was hard. Those songs are hard to sing, you know, the the range of them and just the duration of a concert, a whole concert singing those songs has got to be. You're not the first musician I've heard say that that
0: those yeah. songs are hard to sing and perform. Yeah.
1: So how do how do you come about uh, a lot of recordings from that time period? Was it and is that normal for uh, uh, recordings of different? And did that continue where there'd be lots of recordings from or and why was that the case and how do you come about
2: well i i first learned of these concert recordings through um when i joined the fan club in 84 i started corresponding with some pen pals and started like getting stuff because i lived in a small town in south dakota where there wasn't anything available even like singles you know 12-inch singles or whatever so i was uh very sheltered and so i started like getting stuff like i had a friend who who had had uh, contacts at a record store so he could order 12-inch singles like import singles for me and would send tapes and i'd be like wow listen to this tape i've never heard such a thing so the more tapes i got then I then i'd be able to trade with other people and so it just kind of built um and i when i was in college in 89 um, i was in spain and i went to the revival show in barcelona and wow. i met someone there who had some tapes and I had my stuff with me so we traded and so I got some more and then I went to London after that and I met some other people and they had some stuff so it just kind of like built built up over the years and then once the internet came along you you can find stuff you don't even have to trade you can just go download it now so right I was thinking some Um, of
0: our younger listeners if if we have any might have to be explained what a pen pal is
2: Oh a pen pal pal tapes. You know. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) I hope that (laughs) doesn't was calling on my phone and guess what my ringtone was, so I hope that I think I think that's very appropriate, Mark. But um but should we shouldn't we just say for just a moment how important uh, the Eurythmics fan club was to a lot of us? Uh and Eric just making the point, you know, that we did meet a lot of people through literally mailing them a letter because they would list people who would want to be a pen pal. And I met so many people who, again, I was very much like you, Eric. I grew up in a very small town in Tennessee, and I I had no concept. The first time I saw a 12-inch was, who's that girl in a department store? And I had no clue what it was (laughs) other than (laughs) I got to have this. Uh, but you know, so and so many people did send me live recordings and some of the rare uh, songs before I I really had the concept of recording. So um, it, it was an important thing for a young fan, uh, and we were all young then. <laughs>
0: yep, <laughs> well, we were so young. Um, I have to admit that I didn't join the fan club until post Revenge, hmm. only because I kept thinking. Oh, I'm too old to join a fan club.
2: Uh-huh.
0: You know, here I was, I'm 19 years old, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a big regret that I didn't join sooner.
1: But well, anyway, yeah, I, I, I like it that you're telling everyone you're the oldest one on this. <laughs> Just saying. Am I really? Oh my God. No, <laughs> don't worry about it. But um, uh, so um, what about the Touch Tour? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? And, and do you have shows? Uh, the Sweet Dreams Tour, uh, I totally agree that, you, you know, lots of things going on and lots of different sounds. Touch Tour, a little bit different, but still fairly experimental. But talk to us about Touch Tour. Yeah, so the Touch Tour, um,
2: again, the, the band grew a little bit larger. It was just, it shared some of the same personnel as this, the latter Sweet Dreams Tour with the Croquettes and uh, Dean Garcia on bass um they added a horn player like a trumpet and saxophone um so it was like a a larger lineup uh they did oh one thing i I wanted to mention which which is also really cool about the sweet dreams tour is that they played every song off the sweet dreams album it's like so you could you have the whole album live um which never happened with any of the other albums, like uh, not even you know. not even in no. Yeah, you're no. right. You're
0: right. Yes.
1: You're, you've got the whole album. You're right. Yeah, cool.
0: yeah we, I know, we all want to hear a live Beethoven, right?
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. That would be interesting. Eric, <laughs> you could probably do a good uh, reworking of that. I bet
2: <laughs> I couldn't do her voice, though. That's that's the thing, you know. <laughs> I'd love to, but
1: but um, <laughs> awesome. yeah. But uh, so on touch, what were some of the songs that uh, were that struck that struck out that was sort of different, or I mean that stuck out rather that were different that weren't every night songs.
2: You well, they 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 did switch up the the set list um, over the course of the tour because they started in the UK and went to Europe, Australia, U.S., Japan. Back to North America, so over the the whole course of things, it stayed pretty consistent. But um, they started out playing. Um, let's see what what were the differences. Like uh, I think event, they 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 played "This City Never Sleeps" for most of the tour, but then when they came back to North America after Japan, they dropped that and they added. Heard it through the grapevine, and um, they did "For the Love of Big Brother" a few times. So I've got like three ver- three recordings of that. I think they did it more. Um, I've read reviews that said they played n- a new song. Um they, and then they.
0: What's never, that? They there never a, said a a cover. I'm oh, sorry. Wasn't there a cover in there somewhere of "Stormy Weather"?
1: I think that's sweet in.
2: That was, the, or dreams, okay. yeah, yeah, had, that was pre sweet had a dreams actually yeah that was pre-sweet dreams bootleg cassette of that somewhere yeah
1: like,
2: yeah that was the Reading Reading hexagon from december 1982 rex <laughs> <That> <laughs> you know,
1: is,
2: i love
0: that i love that you know all that like i love that you know that like they dropped this song from from this tour and then they went over and then i just yeah. love that i don't have that knowledge and i just i think it's great
2: that you do and I may, yeah. be
0: contact- I may be contacting you with questions. Okay.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, um, it's, in- that's, that kind of stuff is interesting to me, just how they, and even the set order, like the, they would change the, the order of the song sometimes. Um, and the, the arrangements too were completely different. Like um, in the Sweet Dreams tour, Jennifer was basically, they were playing against the studio tracks, just playing along with the backing tracks. But in the Touch Tour, it was just like this huge, majestic, uh, show-stopping, you know, finale. Really great, great stuff. Um,
1: and didn't it and, end once, sometimes, maybe all the time, with bag pops? Am I right on that? Am I thinking that correctly? Um mm-hmm. Or not necessarily
2: (laughs) yeah i've got some i think i've got one show i think where there's a live live bagpipes but then um well they would also do uh just like a recording you know after the show ended they would play scottish
3: like
0: there was was the one gig in scotland uh when it was i believe annie's birthday or her dad's birthday steve rapport was there Mm -hmm. and that's where you, you've seen that picture of her in the Scottish mm-hmm. outfit. Mm-hmm. And they actually had ba- bagpipes that night on stage, I believe.
1: So. It wasn't Annie's birthday. I don't think they were performing on Christmas. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, I think it was somebody's birthday or some kind of event. Steve Rapport would know. Steve so, will tell us this in a future podcast.
1: So, Eric, when <laughs> they were playing for The Love of Big Brother, I don't think they ever said what the title was. No. I always no. This was a, they recorded this and ended up using it I mean, they had written it and ended up using it as part of the 1984 album, repurposing it. Um, did, is, did, is that correct? I mean, they hadn't really worked on that album yet, right? I think they
2: wrote part of the album on tour, okay. and then they went to the Bahamas to, uh, was it Bahamas? I think so. They recorded that? Yeah, so I think that right after the Touch tour, they w- they went and recorded it. But I think they did have some of it written ahead of time. Because I remember there was an article. Uh, was it Spin? No. Was it Spin magazine? It was talking about them recording stuff in their hotel rooms on on tour before before they actually did the album. So
1: yeah, I, I, I like some of the stuff from Touch Tour, and they did no fear, no hate, no pain, a no broken heart. Oh
2: yeah, that's another one that they added later. They didn't do that song the whole time.
1: I love some of the vocals from. One of the croquettes. I mean, just this high pitched. It's just it's stunning to me. I don't know what you think. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Mark, did you see the Touch Tour?
1: No, unfortunately, no.
0: Neither did I. I they didn't come. They didn't play where I lived. And I, um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't even see Revenge because Revenge didn't play where I lived. Really? Oh wow!
2: I had to move to California to finally see them. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Revenge. Revenge was the
1: first tour I saw them on. I think the Who's That Girl. Performance on the Touch Tour. I really adore the acoustic version, but that the Touch Tour version to me, I, I just I, I really it's one of it's one of those songs that if I have it in my car and it comes on, <laughs> volume goes way up. I just adore that version. I don't know what you think. Yeah, it is a great version. Yeah,
2: it's just, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting that the the version of Here Comes the Rain Again on the Touch Tour is fairly um sticks fairly close to the album version mm-hmm. arrangement wise um but it's really interesting how that song has progressed over over the time and over the tours you know how many different ways they performed here mm-hmm. comes the rain again and that's that's another thing i love about their live recording is is they they are always changing things up even like in the peace tour when they started the peace tour they were doing it with um uh, like a string, synth string backing and like instruments. And then by the end of the tour, they were just doing it acoustic. So even over the space of that tour, they changed it up.
1: Yeah, I just, I have always uh, uh, really been moved by their live recordings. You know, and you, and, you know, there are always people and and they'll say, you know, I really, I don't, I don't like, I don't like the recordings or I don't like the songs live. I just I don't I don't like them they, they change them up and that's mm-hmm. the thing that, that's the thing that always fascinated me about it yeah how different each time they could do it on each different <clears throat> floor or how they would do it um and uh, you know you, you don't get a lot of that and there was a, there was a review for this the album the rhythmic slot the CD. okay uh, it came out in 90, 91, was it 93 93 mm-hmm. the reviewer said well they don't really change it up much it's very pretty much along the lines. And I think, you know, a lot of times if the, when it was the album that they were promoting with, they would do the songs fairly traditional and then they'd mix up all the older ones and stuff. And yep. that yep. album, because it was chronological, for the most part, it went along the lines of those, um, you know, more sticking to the album version of different, sort of, uh, not yeah. entirely, but I think you know, in one sense, they missed out a lot on it because there were so many great, uh, uh, in our t- uh, different versions of uh, Missionary Man on the Revival Tour. To me, is the version of Missionary Man that great? Yeah, mm. <laughs> sort of gospel style and all that. Yeah. So, um, do you uh, do, do you and uh, I know you got this interest for the early music, so but uh, Revenge Tour. Bravo Tour, uh Peace Tour, you, you, you like those as well?
2: Yeah, I do, but it's like the the long the later it gets, the less I'm interested in it, um, in a sense, because um like by like revenge, they became a very well-oiled machine and it was just like like listening from gig to gig, it's they're very similar. There's not a lot of contrast like there were in the early ones. So so if you've heard one Revenge recording—you've almost heard them all. They did—they did some changes. Like they did um, "Ball and Chain," they changed up uh, in the early early part of the tour. They they would open with just like Dave on a guitar guitar riff, and then later they changed it to that kind of extended vocal intro with with Annie and Jonice you know—trading back the kind of the echoing lines and stuff. So yeah, they, right. they kind of switched that up. Um, but for the most part, the rest of the songs were pretty, pretty similar throughout the, you know, at least from what I've heard.
1: Early on that tour, and, and you probably know the one, there's a version of What I Lie to You that that does not have the uh, Beatles song.
2: yeah. Yeah, they didn't. I, I think they did. They started that in the latter part of the tour
1: yeah, too. Exactly. But I always, you know, the again, I'll go back to that, the rhythmics live CD. They had to fade out. We faded it out. Yeah, I <laughs> mean, the record company wouldn't or couldn't pay for the rights to use it, and I always thought, well, didn't didn't Dave have a recording? Didn't anyone <laughs> remember? Like, hey, wait a minute, we did <laughs> that song.
2: Yeah, why didn't they use a version that didn't have that?
1: You know, <laughs> good point. Yeah. Problem is sometimes we we internalize all this. It's sort of like Eric, you were able to remember. Well, that's the reading hexagon on this date. Yeah. So you know, if you're in that moment and you are doing this, and we we think David Annie would remember the kind of things that we do. They have a sure. totally different viewpoint on us. You know, this is moving thing <laughs> to the same thing, and they're not internalizing these things that um. we do. <laughs>
2: No, I'm sure it's all just a big blur, <laughs> yeah. a big blur to them. Even like, uh, it's funny, um, like in the Sweet Dreams tour, they they played uh, Invisible Hands in the first um, leg of that tour. And in one of the shows, Annie says, this is a new song. We never recorded it. And I was like, yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then there's another um, that, you know, that different version of Somebody Told Me that's, um, yeah. Like from yeah. 82 she says she says this is the first time we played this before uh in front of you lovely people tonight and then but they really they did it like a few months earlier on the
1: radio so it's like
2: maybe their memory of the things is not so <laughs>
1: yeah i do like the you know, version of somebody told me that I Oh, i
2: love it yes it's incredible
1: great version of that <laughs> uh, so
0: cool. Eric, what's your impression of the Eurythmics live double album? I mean, do you like the re- selections on there? Do you it, wish some had been replaced with others?
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, it's great to have the soundboard recordings, you know, the good quality recordings. Um, but, you know, through my collecting and stuff, I've heard maybe better performances in other shows. But, you know, maybe they didn't couldn't find a good quality recording but overall i think it's a it's a a good you know record of their uh their tours and things yeah could be a it could be a 10 disc set in my opinion you know <laughs> why don't they give On us vinyl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i wish they would have included some more tracks because there are a lot of you know things that got left
1: off yeah i would have loved to have seen some more of the early track and again, I think it went back. You know, you they were trying to encapsulate, you know, several years into that, and that, um, you know, so they had to, you know, get in a lot on that. But also, yeah. I think <clears throat> what is it, nineteen eighty three to nineteen eighty and they actually could have backed that up to nineteen eighty one. And I've never been quite sure why they didn't, because I would have thought that would have made the, you know, the The public said oh that's a lot of years because they had some great recordings from 1981 yeah
0: yeah it was was more than just a six-year period you know i've always thought that was a bit funny too it's like oh wow we're gonna isolate these six years right here
1: (laughs) yeah
2: yeah i wish um there there really aren't very many available recordings of those really early things like the the tracks on the b side of the this is the house mm-hmm. single. Those are incredible. I would kill somebody to listen to a whole concert yeah, you, of those.
1: And you know, it's, it's out there somewhere because yeah, those recordings are somewhere. <laughs> 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 yeah. They've got to have, they've got to have a whole show. Uh,
0: I'm, a, I'm a big fan of all their experimental B-sides and all that stuff. Even like you take some lentils and you take some rice. I love yeah. all that stuff. It's so avant-garde and cool. And you know, I've played it for so many people over the years and they're like, you like that? And it's like, oh, yeah. well, yeah, that's I my, do like that. That's my favorite you know? stuff. <laughs> yeah, me too. I mean, that's that's kind of what sealed the deal for me, you know? Was mm-hmm. like, you know? All totally. this, and then that too, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah, like those early like the Step on the Beast and mm-hmm. Home is Where the Heart is. Uh, Let's Just Close Our Eyes is incredible. I love that track.
1: I was yeah. just I was just listening yesterday to Let's Just Close Our Eyes. My God, that's a great song. Yeah, and even babies. those
0: those B-sides from We Two Are One, you know, like Rich Girl and and um Precious and what was the other one? E something about evil. See no evil. See no evil. Yeah. I mean, you know, those are a little kind of my like little more polished B-sides, but
1: still B-sides and fun. I just love all that experimenting. Well, and you know, that's what they were doing so much with In the Garden and Sweet Dreams and creating all this things all these things so you know, you did get a lot of different versions because that's exactly what they were doing. You know, and they they didn't have all these obligations at that point. <laughs> you know, they they didn't yeah. have interviews to do. They didn't have uh, photo shoots to do. They were just yeah. creating. And um, yeah. you know, the, there's a there's a the point being there's a lot of stuff somewhere, uh, <laughs> or in Dave's house or his basement or wherever. You know, all this stuff yeah. exists somewhere, and I'm pretty sure all of us would uh, happily buy all of that if it was, if any of that uh, those pieces were released.
0: For sure. Yes. Well, did Dave tease us uh, about a year ago with that Savage kind of snippet of uh, some outtake from the Savage album? Remember, he he played a brief file of it, which you could download apparently. And so, you know, the stuff is out there. They just I think they just have to collect it and and remaster it and i feel i feel that we'll we as fans will get our due we're gonna have to wait probably a little bit but we'll get our due
2: yeah i you know they they said at the time that sweet dreams came out that they picked those tracks out from like 40 songs you know they picked out the album songs from that um so where where they where are all those songs you know um yeah what does that song beautiful armadillo right yeah
0: <laughs> it's out there has anybody ever heard it you no. know I, not,
1: no, I, haven't. I don't know no, I
2: haven't. <laughs> yeah so I, I i keep keep hoping that they're gonna do do you think they'll do something for the 40th anniversary of sweet dreams or do we have to wait till 50 years we're hoping we're hoping
1: I'm hoping if they get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, well, then...
2: Yeah, that would be perfect timing. <laughs>
1: you know, a lot of people have done over the years, on an anniversary, Cindy Lauper did it, AHA's done it, uh, i certain lots of other record that they've done a live concert of the whole specific album that's the anniversary. So I'd love to go back and get the Sweet Dreams album played again, you know. Um, mm-hmm. that, that would be incredible, just to have that happen. Uh, but you, know, you, you just, you do hope that something happens for the 40th anniversary. I mean, let's take, for example, Shakespeare's sister, who just released a single of stay for an mm-hmm. anniversary and sold out. <clears throat> only a thousand copies sold out with, I don't know, in a few minutes, you know,
3: mm-hmm.
1: surely, surely. And, and I love Shakespeare's sister, uh, but surely there is a market to do that yeah. same sort of thing. With wow. one of the most iconic pop songs in history, surely yeah. something—surely someone at Sony—is thinking we need to do something next year for the 40th anniversary of "Sweet Dreams on Made of This."
0: Maybe we should uh, start sending some emails to Sony just to kind of get the ball moving. You—you you are working <laughs> on this,
1: right?
2: <laughs> you are doing.
1: <too. laughs> so, Eric, what, so um, talk—tell us more about your maybe favorite recordings that you've not got to talk about
2: um let's see favorite recordings um so my favorite version of i love you like a ball and chain is the rock im park uh concert from germany in 2000 that version is kick ass it's just incredible um it's really sad that they they did that brief like festival tour of just the two of them and like Backing tracks, and then Annie heard her back, and then they canceled the rest of it. Um, but the, there's only one one recording, one concert recording that I am aware of of that tour. I wish there, were, I wish I could find more. So, and any listeners out there, yeah. hit me up if you got one. <laughs>
1: it's worth seeking now because it's it is yeah they so and I always, yeah. I always wonder. It's one of those things. Those what ifs? What you know if they'd been able to continue performing. You know, would mm-hmm. David and <clears throat> me have recorded another album? Because they would have been together a little bit longer. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was yeah, yeah. That, but she heard her back and they couldn't keep going. And she yeah. was just like, oh, because it was, it was just them and backing, you know, but you're right. That is, that's to me from that concert, the, I love you, but like a ball and chain is the song from yep. that con- It's just, it's incredible. Yeah. And,
2: and also that they brought back the city never sleeps yeah. for that to hear that in 2000. That was, that was awesome.
1: Well, yeah. isn't that the case that, um, that, I, and uh, you know, uh, for revenge, revenge always, let's talk about this for a minute, the revenge tour. And I was always mm. incredibly surprised by that. Love is a stranger was not part of that tour. And to me, it sort of fit into this theme of that uh, tour mm-hmm. of it and how it, it got dropped. Um, yeah. And, and, and even on the peace tour, it wasn't, they didn't perform it at all the shows. They did not perform it in New York at the concert that I saw. Sorry, so thrilled when I was watching the peace tour DVD that love is a stranger was actually on.
0: Yeah. I wonder if I heard it in LA at the peace tour. I I, I really can't
1: okay. remember if I heard it or not. Uh, but I mean, it, It's strange It's such a pity I think that they dropped A lot of those early songs And like you said For that summer tour That they did bring This City Never Sleeps back But there were a lot Of really great songs That just really sort of Disappeared from their set list And I, I think fans Would have yeah. really um, <clears throat> Overjoyed If some of those had Even Never Gonna Cry Again I would have loved to, that. They yeah like that.
2: And The Walk Would be another one yes. I wish they would have kept. Um.
0: All right. Um, so we are going to feature on this podcast one of Eric's original songs that he wrote and performed, which you can hear at the very end of this. Uh, Eric, would you like to tell us a little bit about the song, the name, um, how you wrote it, how it came about, what? what?
2: Yeah, it's called uh, Small Town. And I wrote it last year. Uh, I was just reading some old journals that I kept when I was a younger person (laughs) living in a small town. And I was kind of an angsty, uh, angsty young man. So I was always wanting to uh, feeling like I didn't really fit in where I was living. And so the, the song kind of cap captures those feelings. Like you're someplace you want to get out. Uh, It's just, you know, I think kind of that. bringing I, you down. I I grew up in Orlando, which
0: is kind of a mid-sized town, but it was a very conservative market, you know, culturally. Mm-hmm. And I felt, you know, I didn't come from a small town, but I felt the same way as you, that I didn't, like, I wasn't, I didn't really belong here. What 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 is here for me? Yeah. And this is why <laughs> I had to leave. And uh, now, you know, I'm an older adult, and I think, and I think, did I have to leave, or did, could I have made my own life there? But yeah, you know, probably not so easier in a smaller town
2: yeah 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 so uh so i was just kind of used that as my inspiration for the the song and um just like uh i i tend to gravitate towards some like darker darker themes darker lyrics uh it's not that i'm a dark person but it's just kind of cathartic to sing about things like that sometimes so um so that's well, that's one of the things we all love about eurythmics too. Is yeah, that exactly.
0: Duality of darkness and light, and and <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you can you can be a goth, I guess, and sing about death. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's other ways to express that too.
1: When when you're recording, or especially early on when you first started recording, do you think you were ins- inspired by eurythmics? Is that the right term, or would you even say that's the case, or is it? How would you?
2: Yeah, I definitely am inspired by them. Um, and just some of the things like uh, bass synthesizers, drum machines, just those sounds, and then the layered vocals, harmonies. I'm just crazy about that That in Annie. You know, Eurythmics and Annie's music. So I employ a lot of that in my own music as well. Would, would I be
0: correct in saying that Annie and Dave's production was maybe one of the first times that you heard just one person's voice all over an album in all in all in all you know in all parts of the singing you know? yeah
2: that's that's actually one of the things that really intrigued me early on it's like i couldn't believe i remember listening to who's that girl on the radio and i was like how many people are in this eurythmics band and it was all well, i was just to like you. couldn't
0: believe it yeah i mean every vocal on would i lie to you is her yeah it's, it's just amazing and it is very groundbreaking stuff i know some people were criticized it back in the 80s as being not natural but if you look at the way music's progressed um i think it was very natural and and it was ahead of its time
1: i remember there was a savage uh radio program and it was an interview with annie i think it was in the us and and fans could call in to to talk to her And, and there was someone who called in and wanted to know well, who's doing all those backing vocals? And she kept trying to explain, well, <laughs> I am. You know, and I don't, I don't know that it ever actually computed to the person that she could record them and then I could put them all together, but yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah,
0: am I right in saying that that hadn't been done a lot up to that point in, in pop music? I mean, I know they had layered vocals, but to that extent where everything you heard was just one person.
2: Yeah, nothing really, I, I, I'm sure... There's probably other examples, but I, I, none spring to mind as much as Eurythmics did it. I mean, it's totally everything is Annie, you know. On you were very years. much
0: aware of that in the day listening to it. It was yeah. like, wow, everything is her. And, and you think about how they did it and how they put it together and how they isolated each track and put it
2: in. And it's fascinating to me. Yeah. And then it was, and Sweet Dreams re- was recorded on an eight track. Yeah. So to, to do that on an eight track, is amazing because um you know obviously you've only got eight tracks to work with so if you've got 20 vocals like there probably are on the the walk there's probably more than that she just had to record several tracks then they would bump them together record more and bump them together and you can't make a mistake because you're just gonna mess them all up you know and mess the whole thing up so it's just incredible to me how they did that that
1: was the experimentation that time that was, that really set them apart. Yeah. And thank goodness they, they had to have that innovation. And I, I don't think we would have gotten what we did. I don't, you know, what they were doing was so you know, they had to do it. That's how, you know, that's, that's what was going to happen. it's right. really well. So.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, Mark, <laughs> I'm going to let you kind of close, close out the podcast. Cause I know, um, you and Eric are, are good friends and all that. So I'll let you.
1: Well, I, I, I'm thrilled that Eric was our first official guest. Uh, and like I said, I've only, I've only met Eric once, but, uh, unless we did meet very briefly at the yeah. concert uh, in LA. And I'm uh, sorry, I don't remember. Cause as you said, we both were probably jet lagged, <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, you, you were very helpful to me over the years just, and, uh, as you said, a lot of us uh, were to each other, like, you know, in collecting or just hearing things that we hadn't heard. Uh, nice. And I've always appreciated that. And I've appreciated your music that you've created. Um, again, I said I didn't realize even that you had it as much as you did until I was sort of looking earlier. But, um, you know, it's it's always been great to keep up with you on social media and that kind of thing. So glad that you took part in this.
2: Yeah, it was fun. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And, you know, the conversation flowed
0: very well, just like it does with uh, with Mark and, and myself. And it's just I th- I think it's great. We had a great conversation and I appreciate you sharing your insights and, and your love of all the live recordings. Like I said, <laughs> you have a, you have a really great body of knowledge about that. You know, um, that's yeah, not did. my area. So, yeah, any questions I have, you'll be hearing from me.
1: Yeah, we we'll do ten hours on all that Eric knows about the live recording. <laughs> <laughs> the surface a little bit. So
0: yeah. So Dave Stewart, if you're listening at any point, you know, and you need um, <laughs> a refresher course on what you may have recorded over the years, <laughs> would be your man. Yeah. Oh, and Eric, <laughs> didn't you didn't you tour the church and meet Dave? Yes, yes. That's something I wanted to talk about. Let's just talk about that for like maybe thirty seconds. Okay. <laughs> what year was that, and how did that happen, and.
2: So that was in 1998 when the Sly Fi album came out. Mm-hmm. And uh, a friend of mine who had been my friend from a pen pal fan club days, she, uh, she won a contest. I don't re- remember what the contest was exactly, but somehow she won it. And it, the prize was a trip to London to spend a day at the church with Dave. And uh, she invited me to go along because we were, you know, Eurythmics pen pals from back in the day. So. Uh, so we went it was uh, Halloween day on in 1998 so the church was all decorated with <laughs> jack-o-lanterns and cobwebs and stuff uh, he showed us showed us around showed us the keyboard that sweet dreams was done on played here comes the rain again for us on the guitar he sat us down on a couch and played us the um, then unreleased TVP cover cover songs, uh, one of which has not been released yet that we got to hear. It was, they did Everlasting Love was the other one that's. um, So when when those
0: appeared on the albums, were they pretty much the same versions you had heard or had they been been polished up or something?
2: Nope. They were the same. They were the same.
0: Interesting. Wow. So you've heard a song. We all haven't good for you. (laughs) (laughs) Once, (laughs) once. (laughs) That was, that was
1: cool. I love that. Great story.
0: <laughs> well, I guess we'll wrap up the podcast, uh, Mark. I'll, I'll I'll let you kind of segue us out here.
1: Well, remember
0: into the song,
1: Walk and Roll Hall of Fame. Go vote, absolutely yes. Um, and and uh, vote every day. <laughs> and Eric, tell us the song that we're going to hear. It's gonna you all will be able to hear it. We'll finish the podcast and and then we're going to add the song at the very end. It's called, called
2: "Small Town" by
0: Eric Alright <laughs>
1: All right. Thank thank you
0: for joining us and stay tuned for the song right after this. Thanks, guys. Bye, everyone. Thank you, Eric.